it's uh, what they call a blue ocean as opposed to a red ocean. The, the red ocean is kind of like blood in the water. You know, there's tons of people fighting for just a limited amount of things. Uh, land flipping is wide open, you know, okay. I think. I mean, some of these areas, the, the popular areas and things, you know, there is competition in these areas. And you run into people that said, oh, I got letters from these other investors and things. So that happens. But it's not nearly like it is with, with house flipping. Okay. Welcome to Money Vision U. In this podcast, we are passionate about teaching the financial class you should have had in high school so you can learn how to fast track your financial freedom. If you want to learn how to make, manage, and multiply your money and see opportunities the way the wealthy do, then you came to the right place. I'm your host, Stuart Berryhill. Money Vision U, class in session. Welcome to another episode of Money Vision U. Today we have Peter on the podcast with us, and he is a land flipper. I bet you haven't met many land flippers. But with that being said, Peter, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Stuart. I, I'm looking forward to this. Yes, sir. And just give us some of your financial bio, not even getting into land flipping yet, but just how you got on this journey of financial literacy and financial freedom. Was there a spark for you? Did you grow up hearing these things, maybe from your parents, things like that? Give us your uh, financial background. Well, my upbringing, I had a great upbringing, great parents, but my parents were not really super financially savvy by any means. Um, in fact, we never owned a home when we were a kid. So we always lived in in apartments or, or rental houses. So I always had that kind of deep burning desire within me that I wanted to own a bunch of real estate. So that <laughs> that kind of led me, you know, even when I was young, um, probably, you know, 17, 18 years old, I had, you know, they used to have these infomercials on the TV with people talking about, you know, buying real estate with no money down. The guy's name was Carlton Sheets. He was kind of like one of the first kind of gurus of of that space. And I remember I bought his program. I didn't take any action at the time. I should have. <laughs> uh, but I was at least thinking in that direction you know, a long time ago. So I'm, I'm well beyond that now. That was uh, probably 30 years ago now. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, you know, eventually, you know, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, then I moved out to California after college, got I was a financial advisor um, for a couple of years, that was my first job out of college, I didn't really like doing that. So then I kind of, um, I started getting into real estate with my wife, and we were start flipping some homes. Uh, and then I got my broker's license and started working with some clients and doing all those different things. Got out of real estate altogether uh, for, for a little while with another business that my wife and I were doing. Uh, but then I got kind of the itch to get back into real estate and real estate investing. And that's where I kind of stumbled on the land flipping model of, of making money. And mm -hmm. then, uh, yeah, one thing led to another. Okay. Um, now, just out of curiosity, why'd you get out of real estate investing when you'd kind of been in it in different areas? What what made you kind of get out of it? Yeah, you know, there was a couple of factors. I was kind of burnt out on real estate at the time. I was dealing with um, clients. I was working with clients as a broker. So I had done investing and then the market crashed here in Southern California. And then at that time when the market crashed, I was like, okay, I don't want to be an investor anymore. It's like too volatile. 
And I figured I would just represent clients. That's the kind of the safer play there. And for a while there, I was just selling, I was working with the banks. I was a listing broker for the bank selling these foreclosure properties. But, um, you know, that's not the best business. And then I started working with clients that were buying investment properties because I knew what they were looking for. I knew how to get mm -hmm. the deals for them. So I was kind of working on that side of things for a while. But I wanted to get out of real estate kind of because I was getting burnt out. And plus my wife, my wife had been doing some things. She had a lifestyle and travel blog, and it was really, really taking off at the time. And she had tons of people always asking her, hey, how do I do this? How do I do this? Show me how to do it. So we decided to start a whole business showing people gotcha. how to do that side of things. So that kind of took over our lives for many years there. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's how I got out of real estate. <laughs> okay, yeah, a better business kind of came along. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like, some of those things you were doing in real estate or some of the tricky things. I mean, flipping houses, not easy. Uh, not easy. Foreclosures, no. not easy. <laughs> those no. are those are some of the no. more difficult things in real estate for sure that I can definitely understand yeah. some of that burnout there. Um, but yeah. that that all led you to maybe, well, it was, you were just figuring out what worked and what didn't work for you in real estate. And, you know, it's just your story and one thing leads to another. And then all, all of a sudden you find land flipping. So- mm -hmm. Tell us about, so that's your expertise now. So tell us about land flipping. You stumble, you stumble on that as you're getting back into real estate. You figure out, hey, maybe I'll just focus on the land basically rather than the property on the land. And yeah. just, I don't know, take that's a totally new concept for us <laughs> at Money Vision U. So just tell us what we don't know about land flipping. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, what had happened really is I knew I wanted to get back in the real estate investing world. And I was just doing a lot of research about different ways to invest and trying to decide which model of investing I wanted to focus on. And I kept reading these anecdotes about people saying, hey, I bought this piece of land for 10,000 and I sold it for 30,000 or I bought mm -hmm. it for bought a property for 20,000, sold it for 40,000. You know, two and three times their, you know, return on whatever, you know, money they put out. And I thought, well, that sounds great. I'd love to do those kind of deals. I mean, I I think I'm pretty good at identifying, you know, value. And I think I'm pretty good at buying and selling stuff. So I figured it was kind of right up my alley. And then I bought a training program, showed me exactly how to do this, this model of things. And I kind of went all in on it. And so we flipped our first um, piece of land using this model in March of 2021. That first year, we did about 1.2 million and some change in revenue. And about oh, wow. half of that was was gross profit. So on average, we were doubling our money. Wow. And then on um, in, in 2020, yeah, yeah, that was 1.2 million in that first year. It wasn't even a full year. Yeah. So like doubling months, your money so. in a year, that's crazy. Yeah. So, and then, um, well, actually, most of these properties were doubling our money in 60 days. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So buy a property and then resell it within 60 days to double our money. Wow. Um, and then um, 2022, we did about 3.5 uh, million almost. And then a little bit less than 50% um, gross profit. So it's a little less than a double on each of these properties, but still a really, really healthy profit margin. And then this year, 2023, I'm looking to do 10 million in revenue. So um, doubling every so year. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So the the model really, basically, it's, it's pretty easy. Basically, what we do is we send out letters to people, to landowners, off market. These are not properties listed on the market or the MLS or any of this stuff. So we send letters to these people. 
let them know that we will buy their property from them cash and we will close quickly. And then we take that property after we close and then we list it with a real estate agent, maybe do some minor cleanup or improvements on it and then uh, resell it right away. Okay. So, so uh, pretty simple, really. Yeah. So you're, you're finding older owner off market's a big part of it. And, and I would imagine, first of all, that the market for land flipping is just not as congested as the, as the market for real estate flipping. Cause there's exactly, a lot of people yeah. that watch HGTV and are like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And that's right. land flipping there, there isn't any HGTV show about land flipping. And so yeah. I would imagine there's less competition. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, definitely less competition for sure. Um, it's uh, what they call a blue ocean as opposed to a red ocean. The, the red ocean is kind of like blood in the water. You know, there's tons of people fighting for just a limited amount of things. Uh, land flipping is wide open, you know, okay. I think. I mean, some of these areas, the, the popular areas and things, you know, there is competition in these areas. And you run into people that said, oh, I got letters from these other investors and things. So that happens. But it's not nearly like it is with, with house flipping. Okay. So you'll find land. And it sounded like you would find these from find land from off uh, off market um, from whoever owns it. And then you're, I mean, you said minor fixes, which I'm curious what minor fixes on land means, but then also sometimes there's property on it. So is I'm almost imagining if land is sometimes more valuable, if a property was mowed down compared to if that old, you know, not put together property was on the land, but then you're just giving it to some real estate agents and having them help sell it for you. And so, but yeah. what what are some of the things you're doing? Because it doesn't even sound like you're necessarily, it almost sounds a little bit like wholesaling more than, I mean, you're still flipping it, but there's not too much that you're necessarily doing. It, it, well, it wouldn't be wholesaling because you're not selling the contract. It's more like but, wholesaling, they call it, you know, okay. like wholesaling to, and retailing kind of you wholesale it to the public type thing. So yes, that that's kind of what we're doing. And we really don't do a lot of improvements to these properties. It depends. You know, sometimes we'll do some more extensive stuff, but some of the common things that we do would be, you know, if a property is completely overgrown, I might uh, contact a uh, brush clearing company to come and cut some paths through the property. So someone could, like a potential buyer could actually walk through the, the property itself. Now, these are larger properties. They're in most areas, five to 10 acres plus. You know, the biggest we've done is 656 acres or something like that. So, uh, so for the most part, you know, that would be a common thing. Sometimes we might get it surveyed. Um, so, you know, on some properties we've split them up before where we might take one large property, split it up into five properties and then sell off each one individually. Mm -hmm. In some areas that property is, that process is very easy. It's just simply a matter of hiring a surveyor to do that part and then you sell them off individually so things like that uh minor minor value add things that we call it okay now when you're looking for land uh, uh there's it's it's hard to find land that's like in the middle of the city so are you kind of going on the outskirts kind of country areas and yeah these are rural yeah okay are there target market markets that you generally have or is it pretty easy to find uh i mean all real estate is location 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 right so uh right. but are, are there target markets that may be more friendly or or states, I guess, even that are more friendly towards uh, someone who's trying to do something like maybe you have, a I don't know, 10 acres of land and you can split the parcel, split it into multiple parcels to sell each individually off and make more money. Are there better states to do that than others? 
Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, some states make that type of thing super easy. Some states are a lot more red tape. See, I live in California, and in order to do lot splits like that, it would be very difficult and time-consuming and costly in order to do those type of splits. In other states, you know, a lot of the East Coast states that we deal in or your states in the South, it's pretty easy to do that, like like very easy. Okay. So it just, and, you know, depending on the area that we're working in, you know, we might have a different strategy for that property based off of what the rules are in that area. Okay. So it, it just kind of, it just kind of depends, but we, we find ourselves, you know, focusing on certain regions, certain areas. We try to build some good local contacts in those areas, good brokers and agents to work with. And, uh, and then we try to do more and more deals in those areas. Okay. Now, I guess my, my follow-up question would be what makes land good land outside of location? What makes it good land? Because my first thought is if something is swampy, that's going to be very hard to much harder to build something on like in Louisiana or something like that. So what are some other things? And I think, I guess you can do soil tests and things like that, but what are some other things that if someone's interested in kind of, I don't know, figuring out land flipping that they should be paying attention to, uh, paying attention to that makes land good land. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And you're, you're right about the swampy land. I mean, that's one of the things that we look for in, in a lot of these Southern states, at least that we deal in it's wetlands, they call it, you know, so it could be, you know, if the property is hundred percent wetlands, it doesn't really have much use as, uh, as you know, aside from maybe some recreational purposes, but but for the most part, you know, we look for properties that are good properties and those proper things like no wetlands or at least minimal wetlands, um, FEMA flood zone. That's an area like if when it rains a lot, you know, does the river flood into this property and, you know, make it, you know, a, a temporary swamp land, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, uh, topography is a big thing. You know, if a property is on the side of a mountain very steep it's it's really not much you can do with the property like that aside from rec- from recreational stuff does it have nice uh-huh. trees on the property does it have road frontage that's an, that's another big thing if if the property is located on the road you know at least the access is on a road then that's more desirable than something that's located a mile down some dirt road okay yeah that's a good point uh, road road frontage yeah yeah, yeah so keep access going. is uh, yeah access is a big thing you know, those are those are really the main ones. But the other, the one thing that that kind of is, um, I think, overlooked sometimes is just I try to put myself in a um, prospective buyer's you know shoes. Like, would when they walk on a property, would they say, "Oh, this is this is a nice piece of land," you know, or or is it just like, just does it just not uh, seem nice? Is it really scrubby brush? Is it you know you know the, just those types of things? So I kind of look at it, try to look at it from the buyer's perspective and think. Is this a nice piece of property? Would I want to own this piece of property if I was kind of looking in this area? Okay. Well, I guess the underwriting on something like that would really be not too difficult because how much, I mean, if you're flipping land, there's not that much necessarily to do, but correct me if I'm wrong, but like, okay, create a pathway to get to the road or level some areas out or things like that. But um, it's not, and maybe it is, but my first thought is it's not like a real estate house where you're flipping something and you get behind the wall and you're like oh shoot that's going to be ten thousand more dollars you know something like that which i'm sure you know all too well being in having done some flips in the past but it seems like it's it would be a little bit easier to underwrite because maybe you got someone who uh, clears out trees boom how much is it for that and that's a large bulk of really what you're doing 
Yeah. Yeah. See, we have a whole checklist of things that we go down for what we call our due diligence. Basically, mm -hmm. it's our research on the property. After we get a property under contract with the seller, then it kind of kicks off this whole process within my team. And we have a checklist of things that we go down. One of the big things that we do is we always send out a photographer to the property to walk the property, get photos on the ground, get photos you know, from their drone. And mm -hmm. that just kind of helps avoid things that we can't see by satellite images. We can see a lot through satellite images, but mm -hmm. sometimes you may not see stuff like broken down old campers sitting there or hundreds of you, you know, gotcha. old tires sitting there or drums of like some sort of liquid that's rusty and leaking out, you know. So it's so those types of things don't show up in the satellite images sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but so that's an important part of the process. Also, we're doing checks like we're calling the city, we're calling the county, we're just asking them stuff like the zoning. Um, are the utilities, you know, what utilities are here? Are there any oh, things yeah, that could kind of stand in their way for potential uh, building on that property? Because we like to be able to present it to an end buyer like, hey, you know, this property is potentially buildable. And if it's not potentially buildable for whatever reason, then it's worth less. So we try to kind of make sure during our due diligence phase that we are actually, uh, you know, that we're actually figuring out everything we can about that property and just knowing, knowing, you know, knowing yeah. what those things are. And sometimes we learn of different restrictions, you know, like certain areas like, oh, you can't, you can't put a mobile home here. It's only a site built home. And depending on the area that could be, you know, that could be a negative Yeah. because people, someone might be looking to just wheel a mobile home on there, you know? Yeah certain zonings might restrict you. That, that's a good point on the utilities. I didn't think about that. I mean, that's another big plus for roadside roadside frontage access, I would think, because most likely right. there's plumbing and electrical that you can get easier uh, at that point. But then uh, I had a random question. What's, is, is there a weirdest thing, weirdest thing you've ever found uh, on vacant land? Uh, hopefully no dead bodies, but. <laughs> no, uh, no, thankfully uh, no dead bodies. Uh, um, you know, weirdest things, you know, we've had a number of those situations where there's just things that don't show up on the satellite images. So like we had a recent one similar to what I was describing to you. There was all these drums of this random liquid. Who knows what was in these 55 gallon metal drums, you know, rusting and leaking. Yeah. And, you know, so I don't ever want to buy something that's going to be more of a liability than an, than an asset. I want to yeah. buy something that's that's worth something, but I don't want to buy someone else's problem. Yeah, like, right. for instance, you know, maybe on that property, they've been collecting these drums of this toxic waste for years, and it's kind of like a problem to them. They know that they can't they they can't get rid of it in any you yeah. know cost effective way, and they're just trying to saddle you with that problem. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh that's a, that's the kind of thing that uh that you got to be concerned yeah. about really okay yeah I'm just curious you know it sounds like if you buy vacant land who knows that could be a especially if it's out in rural areas you never know give it a good oh i'm sure yeah, yeah i'm sure i feel like that's a <laughs> i'm sure there's all kind of stuff you know somewhere along the way yeah so next question here is just on loans for land how does that work do you have to mm. buy the land and say it's ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars do you have to put all cash in because my thing is bank generally likes collateral. So, and there's no real estate necessarily that would be collateral. I mean, there's the land, but um, how, how would that work alone on land? Yeah. So land loans are hard to get. There are land loan products out there that are for pretty much an end user that was looking to buy the property and just kind of hold on to it and pay it off over time. 
But as far as from a landing investor's perspective, you're either buying it with your own cash or you're taking on a partner. Now, and that's a that's a very common thing in this business. There are partners, money partners, basically, that will pay for the entire piece of land. They'll wire the money to close the, the transaction and everything. Gotcha. You as a land investor bring the deal to the table. And then what happens is you split the profit when it resells. Mm-hmm. So you're giving up half your profit because you're not, you know, paying for this property yourself. Uh, but you're, but the but the um, partner is coming and they're they're bringing all the money to the table and it's kind of kind of a, a win win situation in my book because yeah. you know you're, you say for instance you're you're uh, from the uh, a twenty thousand dollar deal for instance uh, that a land investor finds uh, signs a contract with a seller it's a twenty thousand dollar property that they're buying but they think uh, you know the that they think that they can resell it for forty thousand after commissions, closing costs, everything's all said and done. They don't have the $20,000 to send to close the the transaction, but they find a partner, money partner, that will then send the 20,000. And then after it resells, then there's a $20,000 profit, $10,000 goes to the investor, $10,000 goes to the money partner, and then obviously the money partner gets their initial 20,000 back. But from Mm -hmm. the land investor's perspective, they didn't have to bring any of the money to the table and they've just made a $10,000 profit. Yeah. Um, sure, they had expenses associated with getting the deal in the first place, but still, they didn't have to put any of their money out there and they still got a nice profit. Yeah, so, so kind of a joint venture type of scenario where you're splitting right. the equity in the deal. So it, it's mm-hmm. generally best to pay for land in full with cash, it seems like. Uh, what would yeah, long well, that's, terms be? That's really the only way to make it work. Uh, I mean, okay. you can... I know some investors that will try to work out creative deals with the sellers they may say Mm. to the seller hey um here's what i want to do i want to split up your land into five parcels then resell them individually you know here's here's what i can offer you in that situation and i'll pay you you know each time one of these lots sells and you know that structure it as a win-win in that way so they're not having to pay for the land uh out of their pocket but then they still make some upside when they're selling off these parcels one by one Okay, so yeah, you can do some seller financing mm-hmm. uh, with, yeah. with and that's that. easier to do with the land. That's easier to do with the land. So, oh, okay, okay, yeah. In my mind, it would be like uh, a lot of landowners. Maybe maybe I'm off, but it seems like it'd be an older generation of people that I don't know. They just had land or things like that. Do do brokerages buy land? Because you, I always feel like brokerages buy land um, and hold it because they know in five years it. Things are going to have no choice but to, you know, expand in that city. But uh, what? who are predominantly the owners of a lot of the land that's just kind of being held on the outskirts in these rural areas? Yeah, in, in the rural areas, it's it's a big collection of people. You have anything from large companies that buy up huge tracts of land for timber. You know, they're growing oh, trees okay. on them, basically, and they'll, they'll cut them off every once in a while. So you have you'll have owners like that. You'll have large farms that own some of them. You'll have small farming operations that own some mm-hmm. properties. And then you'll have a collection of random people, people that have owned the property forever or inherited it or, right. you know, just use it as recreational property. So it's, it's a lot of uh, random stuff in there, but okay. uh, the larger tracks are, are a lot of them are owned by either commercial farming operations or commercial timber operations, depending on the area. 
and okay. uh yeah okay. so a lot of different okay. things now when there's another curious question i have we, you know our real estate market it goes up and down and right now with the interest rates and things like that it's causing it to be more of a it, it's not even necessarily a buyer's market or a seller's market right now necessarily but maybe it'll be more of a buyer's market in a couple months or towards the end of the year if the interest rates keep going up but you don't have necessarily um that issue i guess because you're not a lot of land is being bought at full price so does land kind of hold steady to its value even in market downturns like you know we're not technically in recession as they say but you know we we got recession quality so does land hold its value during those things because basically it it's not cash flowing so it has whatever you can sell it is what it's worth uh and, and so just uh, what what's your insight on that yeah it's interesting you know in the in the more rural areas it's there's a lot less fluctuation in values you know, at, over time, asset values do go up just because of inflation, and maybe an area becomes more popular over time than than it than it was in the past. So you've got those kind of upward pressures uh, on some of these rural areas, but they they didn't. A lot of these rural areas didn't really run up as high as you know the suburban or city areas that have seen a big run in or big increase in values over over the last few years. So it, it's basically not as volatile. So and it's not as tied to interest rates like like you were saying as well. So it's um it's it's interesting. We haven't seen pricing come off really in any of these areas that markets that we're working in. And in fact, over time, I do think, you know, obviously because of the inflation, inflationary pressures that are happening, I do feel pretty strong about land in itself because it's kind of the ultimate asset and and it'll increase over time. Yeah. But you know, we we generally try to uh, we're, we're generally trying to sell these properties within 60 days anyhow. So uh, we're, we're trying to eliminate those market forces as much as possible. And if it turns out that values are starting to decline, we're looking at that when we're buying these properties and we're adjusting our purchase prices accordingly. Yeah. Well, and even you're not necessarily losing a lot of money because what you don't really have any expenses. Like if you're holding it and you had to hold it another month or whatever, like if you have a vacant house, you know, you got maybe a lender payment or utilities or things like that. And uh, the vacancy can add up very quickly, but it doesn't seem like it's that way as much with land flipping because I don't know, what what would your expenses be if you're just holding the land? Are there any? Yeah, you have property taxes. And you okay. know, for the most part, you don't have to really spend anything on maintenance on these rural properties. Uh-huh. It, you know, but, uh, but I guess... I yeah. guess things could come up with that. And then you've got just kind of general overhead expenses for the business. But, you know, these properties we own free and clear at this point. So we're not making right. a payment to the bank or anything like that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Land flipping. What what a unique concept. And uh, I know land's yeah. great because they're not making more of it. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or, that's or right. I such. mean, it's just a finite amount. And um, yeah, so I, I'm a, I'm a big fan. It's a, it's a interesting asset class, an interesting business model. And the returns are, you know, kind of far greater than house flipping and it's much easier. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, sounds really cool. As we kind of come to a close here, are there any questions about land flipping that I'm not asking because I don't know to ask that uh, I should be asking that you want to kind of share with the the audience and educate us? Yeah. Well, I, th- I would think that that most people are probably thinking to themselves, okay, well, this sounds great, but how do you actually get these deals? Like, how do you get the mm-hmm. phone ringing? How do you get 
you know, the contact with these sellers. And for us, our process is that we are using a service. Uh, there's a couple of different services out there that we use, but one of them is called Data Tree by First American. And basically, it allows us to pull lists of hub public records because all land records and housing records are public data. So you pull these records of landowners. You take, for, for instance, a particular county. You'll pull all the land, vacant land within that county within a certain acreage range. Like depending on the county, it could be five or 10 acres plus. So you'll yep. get this big list. You'll take out the kind of obvious non-sellers out of that. Maybe the property is owned by a city or the county or someone like that gotcha. that won't sell to you. And then you, what we do is we actually put a come up with an average price per acre in that area and then it allows us to come up with an offer price that we then put in uh, direct mail letters that we send out to these people so we'll actually send an offer letter to them with a price on them and uh that gets the phone ringing okay where do you find the average uh, price per acre it's kind of finding things that are sold and, and whatnot because i know in real estate people are right. looking at the price per foot where do you find the price per acre yeah, just generally on online sites like um, Zillow and Redfin. Okay. So we'll just sort by land only, you know, just raw land, and we'll see what's sold recently that are similar, and then come up with some averages based off of that. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you make it you make it sound easy. Well, I know it's simple, but not easy is what a lot yeah, of these right. things yeah. are. You know, it, the the concept it all make it all makes sense, and then you just got to executing it though is a whole nother story. And yeah, there are a lot of little pieces involved for sure. Yeah. yeah, but you've hit a groove now where you're doubling in size each year, and so uh, that that is awesome. But yeah, as we kind of kind of uh, come to a close here, uh, how can listeners follow you or reach out, or you know, if anyone's maybe interested in investing with you, is is that an option? Can you uh, give the your social media here? Sure, sure. Well, the best place to start would be to go to my website, which is turningprofit.com, and on that website you'll see I've got every month I do a an income report for a land flipping business. So in that report, it's what we did in revenue that month, what we did in profit that month, um, every single property that we sold that month, you know, like what we bought that property for, what we sold it for, how many days we held it for, notes on that property to kind of like what went well, what didn't go well, what we learned, and then also kind of year-to-date numbers. But Really, those reports, I think, give you a really good overview of what's involved with the land flipping business and what's possible. You know, like what are yeah. these purchase prices and what are you selling them for and all this kind of stuff that I, I was wondering about when I first got started. So that would be a great start. And on the site there, then you'll see a number of different links that, uh, to, to get in contact with us. One of the big things uh, would be I've got a land flipping community that which we just started. And that okay. in that community, there's a bunch of people that are starting their land flipping journey and some people that are, have already been doing great with it. You know, they're making over a million dollars a year with it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got kind of the whole gamut in that community. And then I'll also be releasing, I'm working on it, uh, a free training program that's all about how we flip land, how we do it, every single kind of piece of the of the process. So you, you could do that uh, yourself if you wanted to. Uh, and then we also got, you know, money partners and, and uh, in, in that group as well that, that okay. can help on that side of things. Uh, yeah. And then we've got uh, on YouTube, Turning Profit, and then, uh, you know, got links to the social media and stuff as well. Okay. 
Well, it sounds like an awesome investment opportunity. I mean, being a part of something that's potentially doubling money in 60 days. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Um, and did, does it do that for the investors or is that um, kind of split kind of how the equity would go? Um, yeah. You know, maybe it's like, I don't know, 50-50 even in, in the equity. What what would investors returns generally look like on, on average? Yeah. So if you're going to be a money partner with someone, uh, then, you know, our target is always to double our money in 60 days doesn't always work out like that. Sometimes sure. it's even better. Sometimes it's it's worse than that. But, you know, so if a if a deal were to double its money in 60 days from the funding partner's perspective, they would that would be a 50 percent. You know, they they would yeah. basically uh, get a 50 percent return within 60 days, which is which is pretty good, too. That is, that is pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing about land flipping on the podcast and coming on to Money Vision U and look forward to staying in touch in the future. That sounds great. Well, I really appreciate it, Stuart. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Vision U. If this is something that added value to you, then please subscribe, leave a review, and share. We are passionate about teaching financial literacy so you can learn to take control of your financial future. If you want to learn more, then follow us on social media platforms at MoneyVisionU. We look forward to catching you in the next class.